If you're a fan of the Paris-Dakar rally, you'll certainly know the Morocco Desert Challenge. Kert Dusson, 40-year-old Belgian entrepreneur and an old friend of mine, is the founder and organizer of the second biggest rally in the world. In his early 30s, he took a break from his communications career and drove with a deux chevaux from Belgium to South Africa, and this changed his life forever. One book and one Sahara Desert tour later, he started organizing rallies, first Libya and then Morocco. Kert, great to have you with us. Let's start right away. How did you end up organizing professional rallies in the African desert? <laughs> That's immediately a very complicated question because it got nothing to do with what I studied or uh, how I started my career. But uh, with these special jobs, you just fall into it after a, after a number of things that happen in your life. I studied, just like you, Laura, we both studied communications. And uh, this is what I did until the age of 30. Now, uh, actually, when I was 29, I said, is this what life is all about? I mean, uh, going to the office, working for somebody else, doing communications, which is, which is kind of okay, but not really a dream job. And uh, I decided to take off some time from work to, to think about what to do in my life. And the idea was to, to sail around the world, but because of a lack of budget, I chose something else. We have a car here in Belgium, which is a uh, deux chevaux. Uh, do you know it? A Citroën 2CV. I uh, know it very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, um, well, I decided to buy such a car for about a thousand euros and to drive it from the Grand Place of Brussels to Cape Good Hope in South Africa. And uh, it took me six months to get there. We barely made it, but it was a, a page to early. It, it changed my life completely because when I came back after being six months in the desert and in the jungles of Africa, of course, I didn't feel like uh, going back to my office in Paris. Hmm. And uh, so luckily, because of the dot-com crisis uh, around that time, of the, around that time um, I got laid off. They gave me a year's salary. And I said, this is fantastic. Now I can really change my life. I have the financial means and I can do whatever I want to. So I decided to write a book about this epic journey we made. And uh, after writing the book, many people contacted me like saying, oh, we read your book and this is amazing traveling across the Sahara Desert in a, in a Citroën 2CV. Why don't you organize this so we can come along? And, and, and more and more people started asking the question, so I said, hey, look, I've got some money on my bank account. I have nothing to do. So yeah, why not? And um, in 2005, I organized my first trip with about 20 cars from Brussels to Benin uh, called the Tuareg Trail. A couple of years later, I met uh, a guy in, uh, in Libya and uh, he says, I'm going to do a, a big competition, a proper rally like the Dakar rally in Libya. Uh, aren't you interested in uh, in being my partner? So I said, yeah, why not? Yeah, so we did. We had a first very, very small event. And the funny thing is that when in 2008, I believe, we started this, 
and I had zero customers. I only had three customers registered a few months before the start of the rally. So the whole project was like a, a dead child, you know, there was no mm. future in it. You can't organize a rally with three cars. And then something happened. On the 1st of January, 2008, the famous uh, rally, the Paris-Dakar, which was about to start from Lisbon, got cancelled the day of the departure. And all these teams from all over the world were present. And they just had to go back home. I mean, can you imagine? You come from Kazakhstan, from Japan, from South America. You ship all your vehicles to Lisbon. And the day of the departure, the organizers tell you, tells you it's not going ahead. And I was there. And I had, only, I had a rally, but with only three clients. And somebody said, Gert, this is your moment. This is the only moment where you have to seize the opportunity and go for it. Uh, you have a rally, but no clients. They have clients, but not a rally. So I came home on the 2nd of January, 2008, and I started contacting all these participants from the Dakar. I looked it up on the internet. I found their website. I found telephone numbers, email addresses, and I started contacting these people. And I said, look, guys, you're fully prepared. Participate in my rally. It's a new thing. I've never organized a rally in my life, but <laughs> for only a thousand euros, just take a chance uh, and go for it. And about 30 people decided to go for it. Luckily for me, they were relatively famous uh, riders from Holland. And they came to Libya. They saw the most fantastic landscapes, the highest dunes of, of, of North Africa. And they absolutely loved it. And this was the start of my career, thanks to the cancellation of the Paris-Dakar. So the next year, in uh, 2009, I had uh, 80 clients. Um, in, um, two years later, in 2010, I had 200 clients. And then it went up and up and up and up. And now we are uh, we're basically at the same level as the Paris-Dakar in terms of number of clients. So we're uh, about 1,300 participants coming from 32 nationalities, so from all over the world. Fantastic. So that's my story. Yeah. Amazing story, Herta. Uh, talking about being at the right place at the right time, eh? and uh, not only that, because you know you took a leap of faith and your chance at organizing with three clients. So you went, you went on doing this, and then the opportunity arose. If you hadn't started that, you wouldn't have uh, had all the Dakar people, um, you know, looking for a rally. So good for you, well done. And um, I wonder, you had a several set of skills coming from communications, and then you were working. Uh, what was the company you were working for? Was it Cable and Wireless, I believe? Yeah, exactly. Good memory, yeah. Laura. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after 20 plus years. And um, do, you, do you think that there are some skills that you've been able to transfer from the, your other line of work into this one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, I, what I do is uh, I don't see myself as a race director or, or a rally organizer. I'm an event organizer. Yeah. Um, and everything that I've learned during my communications degree, and in my in the in the six years that I worked for a, for a company, this has a direct impact. Huh? Most of my competitors, the rally organizers, they were ex-pilots. Mm -hmm. They have been racing all their life, but they know nothing about communication. Mm. And uh, I know nothing about racing. But I know all about communication. And when you, you have to write a website, you have to send press releases, you have to organize events, you have to make sure that people, uh, that people have a good time. It's all about organizing an event and nothing to do with the race itself. 
Mm-hmm. For the race itself, actually, I have a I, I have a full time uh, employee, which who is my race director, who takes care of the technical aspects of the rankings and the timings and the roadbooks, etc. So I'm I'm actually organizing the event as such. What were your hardest times um, during your mm, ten years, seven plus years uh, doing this? Well, I'm organizing it now for fifteen years, more or less. Yeah, fifteen years. Well, it shouldn't come as a surprise, but the hardest. A time in my life is now of course now for everybody in the event industry the the whole corona situation is just a catastrophe i mean i'm not ta- talking financially because the last uh, three years were, were quite good so um, i've got some savings at the bank but mentally this is a very challenging time for everybody in our industry because you can't work and if you're an entrepreneur and you've done nothing but working in your life yeah, for 15 years, you've given everything. You've put your soul in your business uh, at the expense of family life, of social life. And then suddenly from one day to another, and it's about exactly one year, eh? I think around the 16th of March last year, when uh, suddenly the Moroccan authorities told me, look, it's not happening. I mean, we were three days, uh, three weeks, sorry, from uh, from the start of the rally. And now, I mean, for one year, I have not been able to work and it's it's so 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 difficult it's very because you're not used to doing other things you know I don't have a big social network I don't have a lot of hobbies my hobby was my work all of that is taken away from me now with uh with not much perspective for the for the very near future yeah because uh, the event is usually the early uh April is that correct yes the, that's true it's like most of the of big sports events it's an event of only it, uh, one week, but it takes one year of preparation. Mm. Yeah, so the preparations are huge. I mean, we've spent uh, we've spent half a million euros just preparing it, and then three weeks before the departure, when nearly everything is paid, <laughs> you have to cancel your event. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, financially sure. not nice, mentally not nice. Uh, yeah, it's difficult. In a summary, what is that you need to prepare? What are the different aspects? So like you know, in a nutshell. Well. Compare it to a to a festival where you go. I mean, uh, a festival that that uh, that is one that takes one week. So we are there in the middle of the desert with one thousand four hundred people. All of these people, they need to eat three meals a day. They need to go to the toilet. They need to have showers. Uh, these are the these are the the basics. Um, then. Uh, yeah, you need to organize to the full race and check it because every curve in every bend in the route, people race there at a speed of 200 kilometers an hour. So the slightest mistake you make in your roadbook uh, can cost somebody's life. So uh, we spent months in the desert, uh, especially my race director, to make sure he writes the perfect roadbooks. And of course, there is the marketing bit and the website and the press. And you need to make sure that uh, you keep the momentum and that, that people sign up. It's a whole process of making sure that uh, 1,300 people register. So yeah, it's a massive operation going from choosing the menu to the flight plan of all the helicopters and staffing them so uh but yeah luckily i'm not alone to do this we during the rally we have uh, 250 people working for me wow so it's uh it's a massive organization and uh, luckily i'm not the only one preparing <laughs> yes <laughs> 
Uh, I remember because uh, I had the privilege of coming to your Tuareg Trail in 2009, which was one of my best, if not the best trip I've ever made. 9,000 kilometers uh, going from uh, Brussels to Benin. It was fantastic. And I remember there was a lot of uh, logistics, but we were only 50 and 25 uh, de chevaux. So I can only imagine with 1,300 uh, participants and that being also like a professional competition because there are prizes at the end. And so people need to sign up, but also they want to get the first prize. So there is a lot of a lot of work. Do you have also a team of volunteers? Like if somebody wanted to understand more how it works, could they ap apply for next year as volunteers? Yeah, sure. We're always in need of good people, people who like to work hard, who don't need a lot of sleep and who want to see a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's true what you say. Eh? Only 10% 10, 10 of, the, of the 250 people are actually paid for what they're doing. And then 90% are all volunteers. This is the, the way this business model works. Yeah. Just to give you an idea, I've got 32 people working in my catering team. I've got 22 people working in my medical team. I've got 50 people working in my in my sports team, making the results, uh, doing checkpoints on the ra on the racetrack. Mm -hmm. We've got a, a media team of 25 people: journalists, photographers, cameramen, uh, website responsible. So it is there is uh, there is there is need for all kinds of people. We even got a, a bar. So we're in the middle of the desert. You can't just if you're in the evening if you're tired. But you just want a couple of beers. I mean, you can't just go to the nearest village. Morocco is, an, uh, is a Muslim country, so there's not too many pubs around, yeah. uh, especially in the area where we are. Uh, so we bring our own bar, DJs, uh, waitresses. Uh, we bring everything to the to the middle of the desert. We have fantastic. a fantastic bar. We we hire companies for uh, sound and light and uh, and create uh, mega parties. <laughs> I remember actually during the night when we were at base camp, we were rather changing tires, uh, engines and chassis. <laughs> now, yeah, do, um, but because we were the amateur uh, group, but so do, do the participants have to do that as well? Or is there a team also of mechanics uh, with you that do that for them? Yeah, it's not my mechanics. I mean, it's so professionally, early. The, level, the level of the participants is it's relatively high. Mm. So when when somebody comes with a race car, he brings along uh, an assistance truck, minimum one assistance truck, and and three four mechanics just to service that one single car every evening. So the guy races and and sometimes drives over the finish line on three wheels with a completely destroyed car, and then uh, he goes for a shower and for dinner and for a bar in a uh, for a drink in the evening, and in the meantime, four mechanics work day and night. To make sure that that car is in a newly built state by the morning, so the bivouac never sleeps. It's actually 24 hours action. The generators are turning 24 hours a day. There is lots of crashes and, and and damage, but everything is always fixed by the next morning. So so the team bring everybody who registers brings uh, his own mechanics. You were talking about Libya at first and then Morocco. So how about the hosting country? Did you have difficulties there? I know, of course, we all know about Libya. So how did you shift from Libya to Morocco? And do you also need like um, permits um, for in order to go to these countries? Yeah, Libya is a, Libya was a fantastic country. Um, we, I remember there was the rally, there was rallies in Morocco, in Tunisia, in Algeria, in Egypt, the rally of the pharaohs. They had rallies all over North Africa, except for Libya. 
And Libya is, is, is the most beautiful uh, country when it comes to desert. So yeah, we saw an opportunity there to organize the rally. But of course, in Libya at the time, you couldn't do anything without the approval of the Gaddafi family. So luckily, we had a, a good friend there who had a travel agency and uh, was well-connected. And he got us the authorization to organize the rally via one of the sons of, uh, of Gaddafi. And that meant that we immediately got sponsoring from the regime. So we got free petrol, uh, which doesn't cost anything in Libya anyway. Hmm. Uh, we had a helicopter uh, from the Libyan army. We had uh, uh, we had a couple of pickups with military in there to recover uh, motorbikers who stranded in the dunes. So yeah, we got a lot of uh, support from the authorities. Uh, now in Libya, we've only organized it twice because uh, in 2011, as you might recall, there was the Arabic Spring yeah. and uh, the revolution, the whole Arab world. That year, we couldn't organize one. In most of the countries, in Egypt, for instance, the military took over. In some countries, uh, there was elections. In other countries, it wasn't that big, the Arab Spring. But in Libya, uh, a civil war started. And uh, until today, these uh, civil wars and lots of uh, warlords and uh, armed groups they're still in control of the country. So for the moment, it's uh, for the last eight years or nine years, it's impossible to organize uh, an international sports event in Libya. So therefore, we moved to Tunisia. We also uh, stayed two years. And Tunisia is a beautiful country, but not as spectacular as Morocco. In Morocco, you've got everything. You've got the sea, the beaches, you've got the mountains, you've got the desert. You've there is The variety of landscapes in Morocco is amazing. And... Uh, in Tunisia, this is less the case. So my participants said, yeah, we will follow you. Next year, we come back to the rally, but please choose another country after two years in Tunisia. And then I chose from uh, for Morocco. And uh, when we end, from the moment we choose for Morocco, the numbers went up uh, sky high. I mean, it was an uh, increase of 30, 40, 50% more registrations the next year. So uh, Wow, interesting. Morocco really helped me in that. And of course, yeah, it's a big event. Uh, we are racing in uh, the least populated areas of the country, which are in general the military zones. So yeah, we've got contact with uh, with five, six, seven uh, different ministries, with customs, with Ministry of Defense, with Com Ministry of Communication, Tourism, Sports, I, you name it. And, and I need a permit from one of them. So uh, a good relationship with the authorities, especially in, in African countries, is definitely a must. You can't get anything organized if you don't have the support of the authorities. But apparently they were happy with us because two years ago uh, we got a letter from the royal palace and uh, saying that uh, the king of Morocco decided to, that the rally could be organized under the high patronage of the, of the king. So that's, uh, mm. that's really an, an acknowledgement that, that they appreciate what we do. Great acknowledgement. Yeah. Congratulations for that. And so if um, Libya opens, hopefully, <laughs> would you go back to Libya or would you do maybe two rallies? What is your thinking? I would rather do two rallies then yeah, because, uh, I mean, I changed the name from Libya Desert Challenge to Morocco Desert Challenge and I can't turn it back to... Uh, and, and Libya will still be a scary place to many people. Eh? I mean, uh, half of the population has a uh, firearm at home. Uh, so yeah, there can be peace tomorrow, but that doesn't mean that uh, it's going to be the safest country in North Africa. So uh, I'll rather keep my biggest rally in Morocco and then do a small spin-off uh, in Libya. 
and I'm doing exact. Uh, I'm doing the same now in uh, Namibia. We're uh, oh. I've, been, I've been visiting Namibia with. Uh, I've been talking to the sport federations and to some people there, and the plan is to organize a smaller rally in, in Namibia as well. Okay. Great, I'll come. Actually, can I come or do I have to have my own team and do I have to be a professional? Is it <laughs> how oh, does it work? <laughs> for you, there will always be a space left. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I come on the truck with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been really a pleasure, Gert, and uh, it's great to speak to you again because we don't really get any opportunities. And I do hope and I know that COVID will be uh, over soon, you know, at some point for sure. So if not this year, then next year, keep up with the with the good work. I'm sure that you have inspired quite a few people. Uh, how would you start if you, you know, go, looking back 15 years now, would you have any suggestion or recommendation for someone who wants to do what you did? It's like the the, the quote in, um, help me, what's the movie with Tom Hanks, um, where he says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Oh, yes. But this is true. You know, I mean, I've never driven a rally, ridden a rally in my life. Did I know I was going to become the second biggest rally organizer in the world? No. Just if there is opportunities crossing your path, seize them. Even if it's not immediately in your comfort zone, but if you think it will give a thrill to your life, adrenaline to your life, then seize the opportunity and, and go for it. Make sure you've got no regrets at the end of your life. That is a good advice. And that was exactly. Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay great thank you thank you so much Hert. and um, I wish you all the best and I hope to see you on the Desert Dunes uh, sometime the, the pleasure soon. was all mine Laura speak soon <laughs> speak soon the more guests I interview the more certain crucial elements recur being in the right place at the right time taking a chance stay open to what life can bring your way taking your courage in both hands, do what you love, work hard. Very interesting indeed. To listen to more of my podcast interviews, stay tuned and write me on jobtalespodcast at gmail.com.